0: another episode today's episode is the one that i had mentioned in my most recent health classes episode on herpes so if you listen to that you would have heard me talk about creating this kind of two-parter with a really factual episode which was what i did two weeks ago and then now i've got a lovely guest on her name is annalise and she has come on to talk about her lived experience with the herpes virus. And just before I give you a bit of a rundown and tell you what we spoke about, I do just want to apologize for the audio quality on this one. I'm at home, it was a Zoom one because Annalise does not live in Melbourne. And I was moving a bunch of stuff around at home. So I've moved where my office is. And at that point, I had to record in like our main kitchen, dining room area. And this just means that the audio sounds a little bit echoey. So I do want to apologize for that. But it is still such a fantastic chat today with Annalise. We talk all about her mental health journey to begin with. So the first probably 15 minutes or so is all about her mental health journey. She is an advocate for mental health. Uh, She was in the ADF or the Australian Defence Force for many, many years. She went through a divorce in her late 20s. She speaks a bit about... Experiencing suicidal ideation and things like that as well throughout this episode, so bit of a trigger warning there for anyone listening. Maybe this isn't for you right now. Uh, come back to it when you're ready, of course. But um, yeah, that that is spoken about throughout the episode, so do just want to flag that there with you guys too. But basically, we speak about a mental health journey. You will understand why it's so important that we covered that first, as well as you kind of get through the episode these, you know, her her mental health stuff and the herpes diagnosis, they interrelate really closely in the end. And it's super, super important that we covered both. Annalise is doing such an amazing job at helping to break down the stigma and increase understanding around the herpes virus. She not only has written her first book, She's now looking at writing or creating another ebook about herpes. She's also written a Mamma Mia article um, on her experience as well. All of this stuff will be linked in the show notes, of course, as well as her Instagram and where you can stay up to date with her. But I think this was a really, really important chat It was really great to ask a lot of questions. I learned a lot in this episode from Annalise as well. I hope you guys enjoy it. If you do, if you are, if you're loving the episodes, even if you're a first time listener here, please make sure you give me a five star review wherever you are listening. And most importantly, click that follow button. I think I'm nearly at a thousand on Spotify now, which is absolutely insane that there could even be a thousand people on one singular platform, who are following along with this podcast, it still blows my mind. But it is so important. It means that we can keep learning about these things together. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's bring in Annalise. So, welcome, Annalise. Thank you so much for coming on the health classes you missed. I am so stoked to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here.
0: Yay! Um, so as I want to say the listeners, hopefully everyone has gone back and had a listen to the herpes episode that I did recently. I touched on a bit or a lot throughout that episode that I've got someone coming on and I've been so excited about this because I think this is so bloody important to not only get the facts about herpes in particular and STIs, but also to get personal stories about this to help break down the stigma and to help... I don't know, just increase understanding about it and, and empathy around it as well. I think what you're doing is so fantastic. And we are going to talk about that. Of course. Can you, first of all, just take me back to the start because I actually came across your Instagram looking at your mental health stuff. So this was pre your article, which we're going to talk about on herpes on yes. Mama <laughs> Mia. Um, so talk to me about how that started. You've, you've, You've been a mental health advocate for ages and now we've kind of turned onto the path of also, um, you know, increasing understanding and awareness of the herpes virus. Take me back to the start with all of that.
1: <laughs> um, oh, I think that's amazing that you came across that path, I guess, before even like the herpes thing all sort of like started. But I, I've been really passionate about advocating for mental health. For quite a while now, so I was in the navy um, from the like from when I was 20 to 26. So I spent six years in the navy, and then. Towards the end of my service, um, I had a few different events happen uh, where I then started suffering from depression as a result of this. So I decided I need to get out of this organisation because it wasn't serving me anymore. Um, and then I got out when I was 26 years old. And I thought I'd instantly be better because I was sort of removing the thing that was causing me so much pain. But I didn't realise that when you spend six years being conditioned, to be a certain person, you know, told what to wear, who to be, your values, everything's given to you on a silver platter, when that's just ripped away from you, you kind of just are left stuck trying to figure out who you were, and that was the real sort of start of my decline with my mental health. So I left in 2019, and then it's been up until now just a constant journey trying to get back on track and figure out who I am without the Navy forming part of my identity. Um, It was... Yeah, so, so kind of, it's a very long-winded story, so I'll try and condense it as much as I can. So I left in 2019. Oops. A month later, I got engaged to my then-partner, which, like, it was also a shock because I still didn't figure out, like, how could I make someone happy for the rest of my life if I was struggling so much to be happy and I didn't know who I was. But again, I sort of just went through the motions because I still... I didn't know. I didn't know how else to figure out who I am. So you just do what society sort of thinks that you should do. Um, anyway, I found myself working in a full-time job, and I guess all this whole time, my, my depression just got worse and worse and worse. And it came to January 2021, um, and I remember I had a there and I went across to Shirebrook Island, um, just off of Brisbane, and I spent a week surfing, reading by the ocean, walking, doing all the things that I loved. But yet I was still so deeply unhappy. And at this point I was dealing like daily with suicidal ideation and I didn't quite know a way out. But that was meant to be like the trip that would make me better, but it didn't. So I realised that I need to, um, I guess, seek help. And so I booked an appointment with a psychologist and they weren't able to see me for a month. And then so my mum and my fiancé at the time, they took it in like turns to make sure I wasn't left alone um, because like the thoughts that I was having was quite dark. And then when I started to see my psychologist, um, I was flagged as like a high-risk patient. I've would have had to schedule in weekly appointments, um, started on antidepressants. So it kind of really solidified that there was something deeper going on. Um, and it wasn't just like something I needed to work through in my head, which did help. But I was also due to get married in April 21. And so we we're on like this timeline of you need to get better and then like make this happen. I was also (laughs) using alcohol to self-medicate because that was sort of like the only time when I could feel happy and that like heavy cloud would sort of lift from my life. And then from there, when I started to realize that I cut alcohol out for a year, I um, started to feel a little bit better because the antidepressants started working in combination with therapy. Um, And then in April 21, I got married and then it slowly started to feel like a little bit better And then I ended up having to switch antidepressants midway through 2021. Um, And then I think it was January. Well, it definitely was January last year. I ended up, I felt like I was getting on top of everything, but ended up having a um, breakdown a day after my friend's wedding, because again, I didn't recognize who I was. I, I think these things, they start out as whispers, like you need to make a change in your life. And I kept kind of ignoring it. Um, but the change really was that I needed to figure out who I was without the maybe forming my identity without belonging to an institution and being married. Like I needed to be on my own and really work that out. So the day after my friend's wedding, I was in the car with my husband at the time and yeah, I said like, I have to leave and sort of like end this. And then we drove back to Brisbane. It was a nine hour road trip and it was the quietest like it had ever been. And then, um, we sort of like went through the motions and then, like, yeah, so I left and separated from him last year in January. And then a couple of weeks later, slowly started to feel a little bit better. I was able to wean myself off antidepressants for the first time and I haven't gone back. And then I just started really prioritizing myself and my mental health, but uh, sorry, oh God, this is very, very long.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> but I guess, um,
1: the thing is, it's like, because I was going through it and I felt so alone with my whole journey I started to share a bit more on Instagram about like what I was going through because everyone would have looked at me and thought, oh, wow, you know, she's left the Navy, she's got a beautiful house, she goes surfing every weekend, she's got a husband that loves her, you know, she's got this dream life that I guess a lot of people in society value so much. Um, but then when I shared the reality of it all, which was like weekly psych appointments, having to go sober on medication therapy, like constant hard work battling with my mind, I had a lot of people reach out and thank me for being honest because they too were going through maybe something similar or experiencing their own struggles with mental health. And then it showed me that like, I'm really not alone in this. Like even though we feel like we're going through it alone, we're not. And so then I started working on the idea for my book, Keep Swimming, which is all based on mental health and, that gave me a purpose when I felt I didn't have one after the Navy. So that's a long story, but I guess I'm still sort of on that path now, just speaking out to help even just one person get through what they're going through.
0: Yeah, amazing. And wow, what a bloody story. And so now you're you are you're not with your previous husband and you yeah. separated and you've had that time on your own. I think that is so powerful to make that decision because so many people get so comfortable in a space and and maybe not in the way like like you were like you know there might be something else going on mentally but that is such a huge thing to do and a huge decision to make especially which this is such a silly thing right because I'm saying it from a point of like this is society's view when we're in our late 20s and you've settled down and it's like like you said, you know, you've got a husband and a house and it's like people are that, in air quotes, like set up, but you don't actually know what's going on with people. I think it's it's amazing that you were able to have that strength to say, like despite being in such a, a hard time of your life, to say, no, I need to do this for myself. I think that's super inspirational. Um, I also love the thought of finding yourself outside of your career, I think that's also something I do an episode every fortnight called how's your head, where I talk to people about mental health. And that is a really big thing that people often say, what do you do for your work? You know, I a question, what do you do for your mental health? And more often than not, it has absolutely nothing to do with their work. And there, I know a few people have said, you know, it's actually f- about finding who I am despite this and. I was just speaking to a friend the other day about it and she was saying, you know, I I try and think what would I do if my work was ripped away from me? Like, who am I? And I think that is such an important thing to reflect on Mm -hmm. as well with the, the alcohol as well to self-medicate. Again, I feel like that is something that people will resonate with and whether or not that's something that people can actually identify is a really, really hard thing too because I think it's such a normalised thing, especially here in Australia. It's such a social thing and we all do it. How did you go making that decision to, to stop drinking and how, how do you go now with that? Yeah, so that was a tough one.
1: I didn't realise until I was discussing my relationship with alcohol, my psychologist, and then she started sort of like questioning it and how I was using alcohol. And then upon like reflection I realised, I really am reaching for a drink. Like when I'm deeply depressed, if I've been in this state, but when I drink, I feel that little bit of happiness again. So then I would drink to prolong that feeling because it's been so long feeling like, like genuinely happy. I say that hesitantly because it wasn't genuine. It was, you know, influenced by a substance, but the decision really was, well, she's like, it sounds like you're using it to self-medicate. And then I kind of just was like, well, okay. Having someone else point that out to me, like you said, it's probably hard for it to identify by myself, but having someone say that, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I definitely am. Um, and again, coming from the Navy where it is a big drinking culture, like you're pulling support, you have three days in port, so that's like a three-day bender and you'll just drink, drink, drink. And even before I joined the Navy, I never drank that much. Drank in the Navy and then I guess my relationship then changed more into the one that wasn't serving me, which is then I was drinking to get happy. And so when she said I was using it for self-medicate, I kind of realized, well, to give myself like the best chance, I needed to cut alcohol out. And so I decided I'd do the year sober. And that whole year, like the first few months were it was very tricky because you try to go to like be social or, you know, if you did feel up to it and you you just felt, I just felt like I didn't fit anymore. I felt like the odd one out. Um, and I know it's slowly becoming more accepted within society to be sober and not to drink, but I did turn to like a lot of like the zero alcohol drinks and that really helped just having something in your hand, like to pretend almost, but it's like the placebo effect. It did work. And then, uh, you know, a few months went past and I kind of just realized I'm so much better without it. Like I'm able to focus so much deeply into like the work that my psychologist was giving me. I was able to like do things that served me, not because I was constantly seeking this like um, other feeling. And then it was February last year just after I left the marriage and that was my full year sober and then after that I initially had thought I'd be sober forever but i would had a few friends weddings and things and I kind of also don't want to put a label on it because then it kind of restricts me into this box and I was like well if I feel like having a drink I will have a drink um I did obviously last year was going through the separation it was really really tricky I guess, emotionally, because there was a period of time where I did lose the support of my family and I was moving in and out of houses. So it was quite, it was a bit of a shock. And there was like this period where I did, again, felt myself turning back to alcohol. If I was in social situations and drinking more than what I would have needed. Um, But then I kind of recognized that pretty quickly. And then I was like, no, okay. Like, I'm just going in and out again. Like, I don't, I very rarely drink. And if I drink, it might be like, one drink on like a special occasion, like it's nothing at all. My relationship's completely shifted because I know, I know now I don't need it. I want to hear without it. I know I'm happier, well and truly, without it. If I want to have a drink um, in someone's company or at an occasion, I can. But I can also be fine just on my own. But it's it's been a learning journey, it's something I'm still navigating. But I definitely don't drink to get drunk anymore, or drink to prolong that feeling because I'm in a much better place than I ever was with alcohol in my life. In that capacity.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important thing to highlight. I think that's really fantastic, especially, you know, the the drinking as like social lubricant or feeling like you do need to fit in or whatever else. It's such a thing. And I've been very similar this last year, just starting this year. I spoke about this on another podcast where I started the year off in just not a good way. I drank far too much alcohol and I just, I kind of woke up, new year's day. And I was like, what am I doing? And then I just made that decision straight away to be like, I don't actually need it. And I feel like it got to the point where I was just drinking to get drunk. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was actually even enjoying any part of it. And it's like, you actually taking a few months or a year like you did just to realize that it doesn't need to be the norm. I think is super important and really cool that, that you were able to do that. So talking start of last year you went through a divorce that was finalized start of last year
1: uh the separation started last year and in australia you have to be separated for a year before you can apply for divorce so it's kind of like even though i had cut all these ties, it was sort of lingering and you sort of have to you can't really have a clean slate it felt like until um january this year Um, We applied for the divorce and then it went to court in March and then it was, like, granted in in April. So I was officially divorced as of April this year. So it's quite a kind of, like, a very long process. Um, But it felt incredible because it's like, okay, this is now the start of me choosing myself, like, yeah, in the future. Like, I will never sacrifice my own mental health. I always prioritize myself first and foremost, before I can start to like introduce other people into my life.
0: Yeah. I love that. Oh, well that's, that's such a a funny fact as well I had no idea that you had to be separated for that long I do understand yeah. I guess why they yeah. do that so people don't go back and whatever else but yeah, yeah. you think that you'd just be able to be like all right see you later um yeah so where did the herpes diagnosis come into all of this you know it gets to the start of last year you've you're separated what happens then
1: so um yeah, so we separated at the start of last year. August, the year before, is when I started working on my book, Keep Swimming, um, which is a collection of stories to help people through their mental health journeys, including my own. And the book launch for that was May this year. And so um, I was, like, I guess gearing up to do that, very, like, excited. It was it was just amazing because I finally have this place where again like I've chosen myself I'm, I've turned my pain into a purpose in creating this book that's taken like about 18 months to put together and it's this incredible thing that I'm so proud of and so it was just kind of this massive milestone was coming up but two weeks before I thought i cut myself shaving and it's this is what it looked like and I thought it was but it's sort of it was a bit lingering and it was around the time when you know I was you know more sexually active so even though I had these conversations around being tested as now I know herpes is included in a standard STI check so um I just thought okay it's best like I go to a doctor I talked to a friend about it and she's like nah like it's definitely like it's all good like it's just got you've just cut yourself shaving and then I was like okay cool but we like I went to the doctor the following day like I kind of was a bit skeptical on it um and the doctor said the same thing like look it doesn't look like herpes it does look like you've likely just cut yourself um but we will swab for it and then she swapped for it and she said in seven days um no news is good news so you know if you haven't heard back it's all good on the seventh day I was like okay amazing this is the morning of the seventh day I was like I haven't heard anything and I felt like this relief come over me 1pm that afternoon, I get a call saying I've got to book in to get my results. And this is on the seventh day. And I was like, in my heart, because obviously when they're calling back to give you your results, I kind of in that instant knew. Yeah. I, I, I was still, I guess, still holding on to some sort of hope, whatever I had, that it wouldn't be a positive diagnosis. But I booked in for the following day. Um, and then I booked a telehealth appointment because I knew that I couldn't, if I was receiving this news, I couldn't be in person. Yeah. Um and then pretty much the doctor had called. It was a different doctor than the one that I saw. And then he had said, "Yeah, so what are you calling for?" I said, oh, "I need to get my results back for this test." And he said, "Okay, looks like you've come um, back positive for herpes. You know, you can take antivirals for this." And that's pretty much the extent of the information I was given. And then I was just like, I went numb instantly in yeah. an instant. And then I just kind of was like, "Yeah, okay." Hung up the phone, and I had never, I had never cried like that in my life. I just felt like instantly like you're forced to like grieve who you were and like the life that you had is no longer and you are just like you have to like just deal with that nothing like nothing will be nothing felt like it would be the same ever again um and then I spent like a good half hour just breaking down until my mum found me in the study and then she was able to hug me but like it's it's very hard to put into words like that initial feeling. It's just, um, it completely rocked me, and it, it was a week before my book launched too. So, oh my God. one of the most beautiful moments of my life. Was equally like one of the most worst moments of my life, and it just, it just shocked me.
0: Wow. Will you just like give me a break? <laughs> <laughs> this
1: Seriously? is yeah, and this is I think one of the things is like I felt like. And I know everyone goes through hardships, but I just felt like I'd been through a nut. Yeah. And I, I just made it out. Like this year was meant to be in my head. This is all narratives I'm telling myself, but this year was meant to be my year. Like I've turned my pain into a purpose. I've done something good with all the hardships that I've faced. I'm finally coming out the other end. And then now it's like, no, just kidding. Here's herpes. And then I was just like, I'm like, and I say it like in um, this article that I wrote, is like, whoever is writing the script for my life like are they actually trying to kill me because it just felt like I was constantly being kicked when I was already down every time I stood back up it's like no, stay down and I was just like, I don't know how much longer I can keep going without there being a break where I can feel content and happy with life again because it's exhausting it's just mentally exhausting constantly trying to be okay when you're like breaking apart
0: yeah and like even that initial reaction to finding out that you've got herpes and we are gonna dive into a bit more of the mental health side of things as well is just that is even hard to listen to right like that something we have stigmatized so much like you said made you feel like your life as you knew it was over and that this next part was gonna be inevitably harder right that is so hard so were you diagnosed with hsv1 or hsv2 hsv2 yeah so and for those listeners who maybe which why not didn't go listen to the the factual episode so hsv1 is generally known as um like cold sores so this is the one that generally happens orally but it can also happen genitally as well where hsv2 is general generally known as genital herpes but Rarely it can happen um, and pop up as cold sores or in the mouth area as well. Um, But yeah, just wanted to explain the difference a little bit there. I also, it's, it's really interesting you know, you're going to the doctor being like, oh, I just feel like I've cut myself. Even them saying, oh, you know, like it doesn't look like anything. I'm sure you're fine. Because through my research, when I was looking up the herpes virus, if you go into any images, that is absolutely not what you see, right? Like it is like, oh, this is taking over your entire area of your body. And it's like this scene and it's so scary. And that's like, we were talking about um, before we started recording, like when you're in high school, it's all this big fear-based tactics where they probably like I remember seeing photos of STIs and just being absolutely shocked for life because it's like they show you the most extreme infected example of whatever it is and that's just yeah. not always the case right and like you said someone might think they have a bloody cut while they're shaving an ingrown hair something like that but that's actually herpes and they never go get tested and they never bloody know
1: yes yeah it's that that part of it is wild because like I thought i cut myself shaving, mm-hmm. but I've also cut myself shaving before. And now it's very hard to me. I'm like, has that always been herpes or have I actually yeah. cut myself shaving? And the photos on Google are the worst thing to look at because yes, while this might be some people's experience, some people are also asymptomatic and they yeah. might not ever have like outbreaks and things like this, but you just never truly know, I guess, how it will affect you or what it might look like. And Google and again now education that we get in high school is often like worst case scenario and which makes dealing with the whole diagnosis a lot worse because then everyone you think that everyone that you need to tell that you have herpes is going to be well they're imagining this like you said a scene down there yeah when really like it might not even be anything it's just something that's in your system
0: yeah and it's really interesting as well Um, like learning about the difference between men and women particularly and who is more susceptible, right, just because of the makeup of our our skin on our genitals. And women are much more likely to show symptoms and also more likely to catch or have herpes um, be passed on to them. And it's, yeah, it is, it was just so interesting to me that like, it's this whole thing and there's probably so many men in particular or people with penises in particular who have never had a symptom, but could be spreading it around. Like it's, it's just, even I was reading a particular article, which I did share on my Instagram as well, talking about how the stigma came about. And this was such a crazy thing for me because even as a health educator, right, well, I still carry stigma and like we were talking about previously, you can't help it sometimes. Like if this is the idea that's been put into your head, it can be really hard to unlearn these things. And when I was researching about it and I saw that the, the main reason that herpes is so stigmatized is because they needed to sell an antiviral drug like it all yeah. just cli- I was like, this is so dumb. Like it's so dumb. It's it's a skin condition and it goes away and it only pops up if people are stressed or maybe they're more susceptible to it. And that's okay. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be this huge thing, right? It's, um. Yeah. It's crazy. And I guess that's, that's the, the best part about having people like you sit here and be so open about it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute as well. But just to go back to kind of when you first found out, and I guess the following months after that, how did you go then, you know, telling sexual partners or, you know, going through that whole process?
1: Yeah, so initially, I guess, um, where I was sort of at with dating is, like, I'm in a really good place in my life, like, I don't need anybody, um, because that's taken me so long to start working towards finding myself, but if I did meet someone, I'm always open to, like, exploring that connection if, like, if I feel like it's something worth exploring, but when I got that diagnosis, I instantly just went, no, Like I can't even, I'm never going to date again. Like almost in my head as well, I'm like, well, there's this punishment for leaving like a marriage and for like hurting all these people. And then you kind of go into like your head a bit there, but I was um, sort of dealing with this and the book launch, but then I guess inevitably you do sort of get lonely from time to time. If it's just you on your own and I was achieving all these things, but not really having anyone to share it with. And that does sort of like, as much as you don't need someone, it is nice to have someone to tell like, you know, the exciting parts of your life too. So I downloaded um, Hinge like a dating app and then I met this guy on there and it did seem really like, wow, like this, it could be something because our like stories align, like he was divorced and I was divorced and we didn't meet for, I think two weeks, but we started like talking a lot more frequently and we had FaceTimes, like we were just getting along like really, really well. And it just felt, it felt different to other times. Um, anyway, I drove down south and I met him. And, again, it was amazing. And I stayed at his that night. I told him I had my period, but it wasn't that. I didn't have my period. I just didn't know how to have that conversation disclosing something like this to him. Yeah. Um, and, again, like I'd only just met him, so I needed to sort of feel safe within myself first and see if it's something I can trust this person with. And then but it was coming out to, like I left for Thailand in June I was coming up to the point of me leaving, so we we're going to spend a weekend together. Um, but I knew before going to see him, because it was starting to look like maybe it could be something more serious, I need to have this conversation and let him know about this thing that I've only just learned about myself. And I called him and I had the conversation. And like he did say, like like to his credit, like he did need to go and educate himself on it. But the days that followed are the ones that broke me because slowly every like the, the communication that we had just like fell away and even the way like he would speak if I did try to reach out it would just felt like I was I felt like I was a germ, like I was an infection and he was seeing me and treating me like a different person because of this thing out of my control and that broke me because I understand if someone doesn't want to be with someone because they have herpes like that is completely your body your choice but there needs to be a level of kindness and respect that happens and don't treat anybody any less because they chose to tell you something so vulnerable about themselves. Like that was the hardest conversation I've had to have um, because I haven't had it before. And it's going to be scary the first time I've ever had it. And then the fact that I was treated like less than it, it, that broke me. And then it was, I think five days before I was going to fly out to Thailand and that week period, me spiraling so my mental health although I've gotten through like the worst of my times after the Navy and with my depression and then done look, launched my book launch and all these things were happening Um, my mental health like plummeted because I was like well he can't accept me because of it. he can't even talk to me the same way like I went again in my head why me why me why me and I ended up reaching out to Lifeline because the suicidal thoughts came back even darker than they were um before and it was kind of like an instant down like instant downward spiral like there was it just was a lot and it was all consuming and I was by myself and I didn't know how to make it like through but it got to the point um before I left for Thailand it was either okay herpes is going to be the thing that breaks me like this is this is the thing that's going to like the straw that breaks the camel's back like everything else was just like leading up to this point this is going to take me down but in my head I was like it's either I cancel my flights to Thailand and I have no idea what to do but I ended up driving for six hours, um, just thinking um, three hours out, three hours back. And then on that, like, on that path sort of thing, I just realized I'm already so vocal speaking about mental health. And this is something that, even this past couple of months, has affected me so greatly mentally. Um, if I'm so vocal and I'm advocating for mental health and suicide prevention, why would I not speak out about the one thing that is affecting mental health so much? Because um, one of the, the biggest fact that stood out to me when I was Googling and I my two was searching um, words like, I guess, suicide and um, herpes into Google. And this article came up saying that the most common word typed in for suicide is depression in like a search engine. And another one right at the top is herpes. And then I was like, this I found because I was typing these words into Google. And I've gone through mental health and I've come out sort of the other end. And this is still the thing that's breaking me. If I'm typing this in, then someone else is. Like there's one in eight Australians with this. Like I have to then sort of use my voice to speak out on it. And so that sort of helped me to realise like what I was going to do with this diagnosis and turn again that pain into a purpose, which I think is one of the biggest ways that I'm able to heal myself from these things but that was sort of like my first introduction back into dating which worked out just as it should have like I needed that to put me on this path now but it was incredibly tough having that conversation but now knowing what I do and going through this um like the last couple of months and even listening to more people's stories I have a much better grasp on it and I even I have a positive
0: story as well, like a um, another one, but I'll, I'll just stop speaking for a little. <laughs> no, this is this is fantastic. I am um, thank you so much for sharing that and obviously being so open. And I know that that is the premise of what you're doing with mental health and stuff now, anyway. But I know that it still can be so hard to to get on a podcast and, and talk about it so openly. So I, I seriously appreciate you telling us those stories. I think it's so interesting now, like even. Like we've been talking about how he's the guy, which again, obviously, like you said, it's totally his choice. But him saying, you know, I need to go educate myself, which is fair enough. But we know that a lot of the education out there is so misleading and so extreme that it's like, of course, if he's going out there to look at things himself there's a big potential that he's seeing those things and that that is then just fueling the stigma. Right. And it's like, that is just a cycle that I guess is, you know, so it's so important that you're here having a chat about it and making sure that people fully understand it and know that it's not something that has to, has to ruin your life or has to have a massive impact on the people that you're with. Um, I also, you know, I think, and I talk about this when we, when we go into STI episodes as well, is that if someone does talk to you about having an STI, never be rude or disrespectful to them because, or treat them like less because at the end of the day, you didn't have to tell him. And I can imagine there are so many people that don't and don't talk about it and feel that shame so badly that they, they just cannot talk about it. And It's so important that if a friend, if a partner, if a casual sex partner, whatever it is, tells a person, about herpes or about any other STI, that it's that it's treated with respect and they're not, you know, that, that we're recognizing the language that we're using and the way that we're reacting to these things so that we don't make people feel suicidal and we don't make people feel so terrible that it is seriously and severely impacting their mental health. Um, at the end of the day, like we've spoken about, it's a skin condition. Yeah. yeah. How do you go managing it now, day to day? Yeah,
1: so, yeah, I guess, like, what I think I'll just speak on um, what you just mentioned then is like the other thing is we shouldn't treat anyone unkind because it's not included in a standard STI check, so they could yeah. even have it themselves. So, that's yeah. so it's very um, I think, yeah, if we always choose kindness, it makes it a lot easier for everybody involved. Um, but for me, managing it now, like. I'm, I, I am, and I know I'm very fortunate in that physically it doesn't affect me. So I had, um, I had, I thought I cut myself shaving. It turned out to be herpes since this moment. I've felt like I haven't had any outbreaks or anything like that. Um, but I felt like things like tingling down there. And so I take like an antiviral and then nothing would happen. I'm not sure. I'm still learning my body with it. It could have been this, it could have been just, you know, things happening down there, but I know I'm in a very fortunate position where it isn't something that greatly affects me physically, mentally. It did affect me a lot, but again, now I've sort of like changed my path with that. And it isn't something that affects me now mentally. It actually has made my life significantly better. Um, And I'm at a place of like gratitude for it now, which it sounds crazy um, to me, but I do know, like, I am and I have been previously because I do, um, like, have endometriosis. So I'm very aware of, like, managing my stress and, like, trying to eat, like, an anti-inflammatory diet and just very cautious of what I do put into my body. Um, and so I don't know possibly this might help. And I know uh, managing stress and, like, looking after diet does help with outbreaks and physical symptoms. So maybe this um, contributes to the fact that I haven't had, like, any major sort of outbreaks, but it's hard to know, like, everybody's body is different um, but I have been very fortunate in that aspect and then mentally it did take a fair bit of time but I'm now in a position where, yeah, I am. I have gratitude for her, which sounds crazy yeah. but, um, yeah, I, I have done so much more than I ever could have without it.
0: So. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that your mindset set has been able to, to shift in that way. So why – I know you, you touched on this a little bit before but why did you decide – I'm going to be really open about this now. And I'm going to write this amazing, by the way, Mamma Mia article, which of course I will, I will make sure that that's linked as well. So everyone can go have a read of that, but yeah, what kind of made you go, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to be really, really open about it.
1: Yeah. I think again, um, and I just, I often think about this, but one of the key things, especially when I was going through like the thick in my depression was I need to find a reasoning for this. Like I need to turn, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, the pain into a purpose and, without that, like, I kind of, I can get stuck into that, like, why me? Why is this happening? That sort of mindset, um, which isn't helpful to me at all. So when I was struggling with the diagnosis, again, I was in this mindset going around in circles, but then I realized I'm already using my voice to speak out on mental health. Like at my book launch in May, I had, um, these parents there of a son and the son was struggling with um, major depression and he was like really, really struggling. it was about it was while I was dealing with my um, herpes diagnosis I got an email from these parents saying how much my book in the book launch had helped them in sort of navigating their son's depression and then I realized that even months on my words are still having impact and even though I haven't really thought about that they're still helping somebody so then I thought well I've helped one person just by sharing my story at the book launch and again in the book like if I can help someone face their like herpes diagnosis then it makes it all worth it for me I just I've always wanted to help people and I never knew that this would be how, but it it just seems so clear that if I'm using my voice for mental health and this is greatly affecting people's mental health, then I can't genuinely call myself a mental health advocate and not speak out about this. And although it's quite like a taboo and stigmatized subject and something I never would have thought I'd ever speak out about it just I couldn't have been um, honest with myself unless I was being honest and saying is actually something I'm facing. Um, and so once I decided I was going to speak out about it, I kind of felt like a relief. Like I was like, okay, now it makes sense as to why I've got herpes because I'm, I'm already using my voice here. I need to use my voice to speak out about HSV. And so once I kind of put a reasoning behind it, I slowly was coming to a place of acceptance with it. Um, and then I flew to Thailand and... Um, and I think my second day in, I met a guy and I'd only just seen him as like a friend and I thought oh, I'll test telling a guy as a male that I don't want to do anything with because I wasn't in that place um and see his reaction he was nothing but kind and just asked questions because he just said you know there's not anything that's talked about like he didn't really understand because we don't talk about it yeah um and then yeah over that like the next few days and like the time that followed like Is his kindness and understanding. Like we did see each other for the, for a month that I was in Thailand. And then he showed me, I think quickly that even if no one else accepts me, there is one person in the world that will accept me and that is willing to educate themselves on it. So that helped me get to a place of acceptance. But um, the Mamma Mia article, which I wrote, I actually wrote on the plane over to Thailand and it was quite, it was two different plane trips and I just wrote it. And at the end of it, I looked at this piece and I, I didn't write it with any intention of, sharing this mm. i just thought maybe one day i would put a post up saying i've got you know HSV." but i wrote this incredible piece and i looked at it, i'm like actually this can help someone one day and my friend's friend was like is a young girl and she was facing like a series of um not great experience disclosing disclosing to guys that she's got um her hobbies. yeah and so I, I sent this article to my friend um just to tell her sort of what i've been going through and then my friend mentioned this, and I said, Oh, well, feel free to send it on to this girl. And this girl said that for the first time, like she felt seen and less alone. And I was like, if This article has just helped one person. Like, imagine how many more it could help. So I then decided, Okay, this is the art. I've got to try to get this article out there because it's a real experience, which is something that you don't find on Google that much. Mm-hmm. And it's also just like, it has the ability just to kind of change people's perspective on um, herpes. So I reached out to Mamma Mia, who uh, um, actually published in 2019, I think it was, the article saying that um, herpes is one of the most commonly Googled words before suicide. Mm-hmm. And I told them, like, that article sort of helped me understand what I was dealing with, um, and I, I sent them through my piece and I said, uh, is there any, like, suggestions on how I could get this out into the world? And they said that they'd take it and they'd publish it, and, like, within a few days um, it went live on the weekend. And I was wow. I kind of was like, bit, like oh, oh, my God, I'm doing this. But then I was like, no. Nah. I'm helping people. This can help one person. It's worth it. And that's like, that's literally just my life goal. Like, one person, because then from there, there's that ripple effect that can happen. Um, it went live and then I pretty much celebrated myself that weekend because I was like, this is incredible. I've done it, like, I've turned my pain into a purpose. And the minute I went, it went live, it removed that power it had over me and that control, the shame I felt, the stigma. None of it mattered anymore because. I was then taking control of the thing that was almost like trying to control me. And I was like, no, that will not be my story. Um, I choose the narrative here and I choose how I move forward with it. I can't control that. I've got herpes, but I can control my life now moving onwards with it. And then so I went live with the article and then started to receive a lot of feedback from people, mainly women, um, all over thanking me because it's the first time in a long time since their diagnosis that they felt understood. They've read something like that. They felt less alone. And then in an instant, I was like, okay, I'm on the right path here. Like I've I've done something. Not only has it helped to like heal me to a place now where it's a non-issue, like people, if they meet me, they're going to find that pretty quick by like just searching like that I've got herpes. And also, I'm also happy to have these conversations because by starting these conversations and speaking openly, it helps to break this stigma down.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I Absolutely love that. And I love that you were able to like that original story of sending it on to that other young person who was struggling with it. And just that point of they felt less alone, like that fixes bloody everything, doesn't it? It's like, as soon as we start talking about things, whether that is mental health, whether that, that does have to do with sexual health, or even like we were talking about at the start, whether that is, you know, participating in things like using alcohol as a medication or something that is helping you cope it's if we talk about it we realize that our situations and our problems are often shared and that therefore increases connection and then we can feel better about things i think it's just absolutely amazing that you were you know you were sitting there writing this article and then within a couple days it's live and you're just like yeah that's it like and it's so true it takes the power away of anyone being able to be like oh, that's gross or whatever. It's like, okay, so educate yourself because you're the other person being like, you're on the other side of this now. There's one way to go and it's to increase understanding and increase awareness and empathy. And you're doing that every day now, which I think is absolutely awesome. Do you have any suggestions for like, is there any like support groups or anything that you were ever a part of or ever sought out? Um, I, at
1: the time, like my diagnosis and things, I didn't find anything until like after- I've come to a really good place of acceptance but there are facebook communities so yeah. there is like ones for like herpes with for women and um i know that there's there's a few on there if you search um that i think do do great work in terms of um just being a place for people to share what's going on and for like pillars of support there is um also Like there's a few like different Instagram pages um, that do speak openly about it, like Comfortable in My Skin, and she runs a few support groups.
0: Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah,
1: Yeah, for like just taboo things as well, things that aren't spoken about, so herpes is one of them. But I think I guess for someone that is going through it, it is tough because we do instantly go to Google. And I think even now, speaking to all these women, I'm realising that when we are first diagnosed there's not a lot of support given to deal with the mental impact of herpes. It's mainly just, you know, this is how to deal with the physical um, impacts, which I think is something that ideally I would like to see change, but it is tricky. Um, It's a big fish to fry. There's so many different ways, but um, the mental impacts I find is something that is instant and hits instantly and it's then, I guess, dealing with the thought what are other people going to think? How will I ever tell a partner this? Like that mental thing. um, And I think for someone that's going through it, in my personal opinion, it's really stripping it back. And I had a friend, I ask myself this question now um, all the time, and she's like, if you were on an island by yourself, what would matter? You know, and if I was on an island by myself, would it matter that I have herpes? Not at all. Probably not. It's a non-issue. Yeah, (laughs) like I'm you know maybe i might have outbreaks but even then like i can manage those like this isn't going to affect anyone but myself so then if i start to introduce people into that picture like i'm really just caring about what they think so much so it's i think it comes down to coming to a place of acceptance within yourself which is really really hard to get to but it's hard work every day to work on your mental health and especially to come to like that place of acceptance but it's I believe it's focusing on what you can control. Like you can't control the fact that you've got herpes. Like even at some point, that choice probably might've been taken away from you. This is something that's on your path now. So you can control your actions, your mindset, and then, you know, your perspective around it. So how are you going to, move forward with it. Like work on your like mental health every day, do something for you. Start to realize your worth is not determined by HSV. Um, tell yourself, change your narrative, not being like, no one will ever love me or, no one will ever, you know, see me the same. I won't find anyone. You're going to be whole without finding someone. If you work on this first, the right person will accept you for you. It's just, it does take time to get there but we have to i think work on that self-acceptance piece first and foremost without worrying so much about what other people think and it is easier said than done because i know it definitely wasn't wasn't in that place but with anything it's hard work and perseverance and it's just yeah reaching out to if you can finding support groups finding people um, that are advocating for it even reaching out and like sending like say myself a message and Talking to someone that's going through it, because again, like a shared experience is like a problem hard. So, like, yeah. you can sort of, but through sharing your lived experience, help heal each other. And it takes time, but all good things do. And it's worth it if you can get through it all.
0: Yeah, amazing. I think that's so important, isn't it? And like you said, with at the very start of this episode, when you were talking to your doctor who just kind of said, Yeah, it's positive, here's antivirus, see you later. Like, clinicians generally don't want to talk about sexual health, um, to which is a whole other bloody problem and episode mm. in itself, I would <laughs> say. Um, and I'm sure there are many absolutely amazing GPs out there who will, and that's Great, But I think the general gist is that a lot of these problems are just like, oh, here's medication and you're fixed or, you know, here's how you're going to manage it. But like you said, that mental health stuff doesn't come into it or isn't provided. And that is so important. And even, you know, speaking about the statistic of one in eight. Adults in Australia have it. It's like you're probably you probably know someone. People listening to this who maybe haven't ever experienced it as well, or don't know that they have, or whatever else. All of us need to be so aware of the language that we use and how it's spoken about, and the things that you're saying. And the way that you joke about these things and all of the above, because you don't know who is sitting around you sitting with that shame and maybe feeling those feelings. Like you just talked about feeling unloved, feeling like they're never going to find someone feeling that fear of rejection. And that is, that's so horrible. You wouldn't ever want to make someone feel like that. Right. Mm. And so I think, yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I was going to ask you if you had a message for anyone who is going through it, but I feel like you've just absolutely (laughs) nailed it with that answer anyway. Um, So I'm going to link that Mamma Mia article in the show notes like I talked about before. Of course, if anyone is interested as well, go and have a look at the Keep Swimming book. I will link that there too. Everything to do with you will be in the show notes. So of course, (laughs) listeners, make sure you go on and follow Annalise and support her journey with all of this. I think it's just so fantastic and I actually cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking to me today and yeah making this like kind of little two-part series of herpes and then uh you know a personal story happen it's it's awesome I have actually been wanting to have someone on to do this for so long and um you know it's just absolutely incredible so can't wait to see what happens in the future for you do you have any plans while we're on that topic what's what's the go from um, now (laughs)
1: So I think this is where I was speaking like I am grateful for herpes now because like after everyone started to reach out to me, after the Mamma Mia article went live, I started getting a lot of um, messages in saying, thank you for sharing your story again. I feel less alone. And then because I've created like a safe space in sharing my story, a lot of women would start to reach out and tell me theirs. And then, I, and then they're all saying, I feel less alone reading your story. I'm like, if only you could all see each other. Yes. You would know instantly that we're not alone. Like you're not alone in this. Like there are so many of us that are facing this. And again, it could be someone sitting right next to you and you would never know. Yeah. Um, and then so... I started thinking, and I guess because I've already launched um, Heat Swimming, I sort of know what it takes to put a book together. I thought, well, I think I've, it seemed clear to me that the one thing on diagnosis that I was searching for was other people's lived experiences. Something that gives me hope that I too can get through this. Um, and I couldn't find anything. Uh, and then so I thought, well, if I collect women's, not necessarily women's, but anyone's stories and put it together, um, in like an ebook form when someone's diagnosed they can jump online download it they can read okay what do they need to know in terms of statistics what does a potential partner need to know and then read other people's lived experiences and how they are living despite or in spite of herpes and how they're living and thriving even with HSV as part of their journey That i just felt so strongly that that is something that's needed and can help people and so um i put the feelers out there and i have had. An incredible response. And like the last couple of weeks, I've started diving into that. So I received submissions for the ebook, I've held interviews over the phone, I've met people for lunch, and they've, again, in the space of like an hour, two hours, shared some of the most vulnerable parts of themselves. But it's helped them, even if they're not coming out publicly with it like I have, they're turning that pain into a purpose again. And it's giving them a platform to share their story. And even though they weren't given a choice to say contract herpes, they're now given a choice what they can do with it. And they're using it to help someone else. And I think that in itself is so healing for somebody. And then, so that's pretty much my, my plan at the moment is, like, keep working on this and get this out there because it's something that ideally I would even love one day for doctors or even a sexual education in school for people to recommend it as a resource. Be like, yeah, you know, for something you're going through, like, it does affect you mentally, here is something that you can download and you can, you know, read through this and know that it is possible to live even with HSV as part of your journey.
0: Yes, oh my gosh, I'm very excited for that. I think that sounds amazing. So, again, that's just even more of a reason to make sure that you follow along, make sure you stay up to date with everything that you're doing. I am so excited to see where this goes and I'm so just I'm so happy that there's there's people like you in the world that are willing to to do this. And I know that even that in my head sounds so silly, right? Because it's like, (laughs) shouldn't be as big of a deal as it is. Right. But it's absolutely amazing that, you know, I, I just can't imagine how daunting it would have been being one of the first people that I have seen. And I've, I was talking to other people in my life and they were saying, Oh, who are you having on? And it said, oh, my name's Elise and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, wow, I've never heard anyone talk about it openly before. And I just think it's incredible. So thank you for doing all that you do. Thank you for coming on here and chatting with me today and, and building up, you know, this episode and, and sharing your story here, because again, it's just going to reach more people. And hopefully anyone listening to this who maybe has experienced herpes or knows someone or, you know, is thinking about becoming sexually active. And this has been something that they were worried about you are learning and you're learning and you're increasing your empathy and you're increasing acceptance. And I think that is so important. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I think what you're doing is incredible and the work that you're doing is so necessary. And I'm honestly honored to just be a part of helping to break down that stigma and show people, yes, it might not be ideal, but it's not a big deal. Like you can live,
0: happy and healthy in spite of it. Amazing. So thank you so much. No, thank you. Oh my God, it's a love fest. We love it. <laughs> Bye. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It would be a huge help for me and the health classes you missed if you could like, follow or subscribe wherever you are listening. And of course, if you want to keep learning and stay up to date with me, make sure you come and follow me at the health classes you missed on Instagram or THCYM And how's your head on TikTok? I've actually got two TikTok accounts now. So make sure you follow both of those to get all of that content. Thanks guys. See you later.